welcome to episode 50, yes, episode 50 of Our Baseball Weekly, the weekly podcast from the Baseball Subreddit. My name is Lewis, and I am excited to be introducing a nice big round number like 50 as the episode number. It means we've been doing this almost a year, and thank you all for listening along with us this past year. It's been a lot of fun. Today, we coaxed one of our absolute favorite interviewees, the wonderful Ashley McLennan, to join Maz in talking about her writing at Fangraphs and SB Nation, including some Rays, Cubs, and Tigers talk. Before that, though, I have the privilege of being joined by Shane today to break down the news from the week. Shane, how are you doing this fine Sunday evening? I am doing great. Cue the streamers, cue the confetti and the celebratory horns for episode 50. That is great. Um, There will be little active baseball news for the foreseeable future. So it's good to appreciate what we have while we have it. Yeah, Uh, I'm... I have that grimace of someone who knows this might be a long time before we have uh, some some real baseball news. So we, we got to enjoy it. I, I have to say uh, before, w- one of the things I love about doing this podcast is uh, Shane lives right now. He lives in Ventura, California. He was telling me before we started recording that it was a cool day today it was starting to get down into the 60s and he he wasn't sure if he was comfortable wearing shorts Uh, meanwhile i spent 90 minutes today shoveling my driveway because we got a foot of snow in the last 12 hours and uh, it's supposed to hit negative three tonight here in northern minnesota And, and i'm thinking back to last week uh i had we i had maz on we were talking and uh, Maz spent his Thanksgiving weekend doing some hard partying in New York City. And meanwhile, I was at a winter parade and tree lighting ceremony with my two daughters and uh, watched some fireworks in the park. And I just love how much, uh, like, just so many different people that I get to talk to every week about baseball and how even though we have a lot of things not in common. It's great that we have this one thing that we can come together and talk about. And we do have some actual news to talk about. Hopefully we can continue to, um, obviously the big news from the week is that there won't be much news for a little while because the collective bargaining agreement between the players and owners has expired which means the owners have decided to lock out the players, which just means they can't use any of the team facilities for anything. Um, And in the middle of the off season, I I know for some injured players, that's real bummer, but we just went through a year of quarantine. So I'm pretty sure most players have a lot of that stuff in place at their homes at this point, but it's still a really sad feeling that like, there's no agreement right now and we don't know when it's going to come back. It's interesting because we kind of ran through a trial version of this whole thing with the 2020 season. Um, We saw so much of what was to come with the tension between the two sides in terms of developing the terms of what the 2020 season would be. And there was a lot of wasted time in that process and a lot of ugly, unnecessary 
you know, labor dispute Twitter beef of like the two sides putting out statements and like negotiating through the public, which I really hope we avoid this time around. Because every time I see a boob nightingale tweet, I just want to throw my computer across the room because his tweets are nothing but rat poison for the whole process. It's so gross. And it's all such like grandstanding and posturing, even no matter what side you agree with, reading the actual stuff from the sources themselves is completely useless. It's just that whole I hope from a from a news perspective we don't get a lot of that I hope it actually is a cold winter or at least a private winter I hope that they do go through their negotiations but it happens behind closed doors the way it's supposed to at the end of the day all that we care about is baseball right that's right so I hope they figure out whatever terms they need to come to so we can all have baseball again yes and get to play and like I told Naim uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I think that uh, uh, we were talking about it. He was really worried. I said, I'm not as worried about it. I think there will be a lockout, but I don't think we lose any actual baseball due to it. I am not sure if my opinion on that has changed. I don't think it has. I don't think we're going to lose any baseball. I think that things always sound so bad. Like you were saying in the 2020 season, it's so, everything sounded so terrible and Hey, look, MLB got things rolling a week before the NBA and NHL did. So um, people talk about how terrible it seemed really. They didn't lose. There were some talks I know of trying to get going by July 4th. They definitely had the ability to play more than 60 games. I don't know if they did, though. I I hmm. don't know if they did because I feel like the biggest hurdle was actually finding enough cities willing to let them play. Uh, Finding the ballparks that they could be in. I'm not sure... I just don't know if they, it would have been able to start any any earlier. Um, I don't know. I mean, like like I said, the NBA and NHL really didn't have that same hand wringing, and they started a week after the baseball season did. So yeah, but regardless, anyway, what it, what it showed us was that these two sides, you know, still carry a, a lot of animosity towards one another, and that this isn't a super cordial process, which is not always what you want to see going into a very important negotiation such as this, where both sides have a lot on the line. Um, But yeah, it's a lot can happen between now and and March or April. So I think talking about it now will only be so useful, but we'll see how it develops with time. Yeah. So, I mean, normally at this time of the year, we would be talking about the winter meetings because they were scheduled for this. They were, of course, canceled because they expected a lockout. And I mean, what are they going to talk about if they're locked out? But what they did not cancel every year at the winter meetings, the Hall of Fame veterans committees meet. And this year, the early game committee for pre 1950s baseball and the Golden Era Committee on uh, 1950 to 1969. Also, I want to say a quick aside. Golden Era for what? New York baseball? You kidding me? Yankees, the Yankees Golden Era? Whatever. Uh, I get it. I, I get it. Golden Era hey, baseball. Pre, pre-major expansion. Whatever. Anyways, uh, the Golden Era Committee uh, met. And uh, we had six new inductees into the Hall of Fame uh, the early era committee 
had two that a lot of people thought overdue. Um, first one, Bud Fowler, the first recorded African-American ball player to play professionally. He spent 10 years with a number of teams back in the late 1800s. He was really a pioneer that's been kind of unheralded because a lot of people just don't know his name. And I, I'm glad that he could get into the hall and get some good official recognition there. And then the one that I know a lot of people were very excited about, uh, Buck O'Neill, first African-American coach in Major League Baseball after playing years with the Kansas City Monarchs before becoming probably one of, if not the greatest ambassador that the game has ever had. He was instrumental in founding the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. And uh, a lot of people in Kansas City just, uh, it's Uncle Buck. Uh, they they love, loved him there. Uh, he's still one of the most beloved figures. Uh, I was hoping we could get Jimmy on sometime, just talk about what this means to him and uh, to the city of Kansas City. And uh, yeah, long, long overdue to get Buck O'Neill in. Two legends of the game. One name much more revered than, than the other. I think Bud Fowler is a name that's underappreciated and unknown in baseball circles. But I think from a historical perspective, he's very significant. And he deserves a lot of the recognition that, uh, that, that he should receive. And it's good to see that, that here. And Buck O'Neill, of course, is revered. Um, so yeah, and as you noted, it may be a bit overdue, but it's great to see the league, you know, honor the, this key part of, of the history of the game that was glossed over for so long late or not. It's good that it's happening. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things uh, I, I was talking with some people earlier, uh, about, uh, one of the things that might have been, they were like, well, what's keeping Buck out? What's, what is it? And it's like, well, here's the thing. When these committees meet, usually if you're talking about a player, you're only talking about his merits as a player. If you're talking about a manager, you're only talking about his merits as a manager. If you're talking about an executive, you're only talking about a pioneer. You're only talking about, you know, those merits. And really for any one single thing. Yeah. If you're purely looking at the numbers that that wouldn't be it. But what like his soul meant to the game really um, just really isn't encapsulated in any of those individual categories. And uh, I, I know it could, could be hard to, to put those in. I think uh, one of, one of my favorite uh, things that Buck O'Neill said, he, uh, he was originally on a ballot with a lot of, uh, with a lot of other Hall of Famers. In 2006, they had a special Hall ballot for Negro League players, managers, and executives. And uh, he did not receive the amount of votes in that one. But 17 other Negro League figures were selected. And uh, what Buck O'Neill said was, God's been good to me. They didn't think Buck was good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. That's the way they thought about it, and that's the way it is. So we're going to live with that. Now, if I'm a Hall of Famer for you, that's all right with me. Just keep loving old Buck. Don't weep for Buck. No man be happy, be thankful. And on July 29th, he spoke at the induction ceremony on behalf of all Negro League players at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And so uh, 
I tear up a little every time I think about that. So uh, this is a great day for the Hall of Fame, and I am glad that Buck O'Neill can can go in. <laughs> That's amazing. That's uh, that was beautiful. Uh, he's the wordsmith, not me. All right. So uh, that was those were the early game selections. The golden era. Um, uh, one I definitely think was long overdue. Uh, a couple that if I were a more biased homer and one I hadn't thought all that much about, but, uh, so the, the two, uh, as a twins fan, I feel like I should be excited about, uh, but really, you know, they, they, I didn't, I didn't think they were hall of famers, but okay. That's how the veterans committees work. Uh, we have, uh, Jim Cott who pitched 25 seasons, mostly with the twins is, Big claim to fame is he won 16 consecutive gold glove awards, second to only Greg Maddox. And uh, really, uh, you know, those gold gloves, I don't know. You can always debate the merit of those in the, the old days. But um, if, if he was as good defensively as the gold gloves voters thought he was, then I can see a, a, a reason for, for putting him in if that would be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jim Cott was just a really good pitcher for a long time. And there's going to be some common denominators that you see with these uh, golden era selectees from these committees. They're going to be players who have very solid careers. You know, they're sitting in the 40 to 50 war range. You know, it's not quite screaming Hall of Fame numbers on the page, but they usually are very well liked in the sport or, you know, they were around for a very long time or there's some sort of combination of other circumstances that, that get them that push that they need to kind of get through this extra step. Um, and yeah, Jim Cott's one of those guys, you know, 16 gold gloves, you know, what, whatever you think about that, that's, that's legit. That's a very impressive thing to have on your resume behind, I believe only Greg Maddox who had yep. 18, um, because so, he's Greg freaking Maddox. Uh, yeah. So, and, and you know, with those, obviously there's, there's things you can debate about gold gloves. Um, I mean, the, the one everyone always brings up um, for better or worse is, you know, ah, oh, well, Derek Jeter had so many yeah, gold geez. gloves and he, you know, the metric show, he wasn't really worth it. I mean, five gold gloves, but not a defensive. Um, I think, I don't know. I feel like there's a difference though, between a shortstop, a shortstop and a pitcher and a pitcher who wins 16. There's gotta some, be doing something right to get to 16. Gotta be some legitness to that. So, um, all right. The other one, the other twins hero twins legend who got in Tony Oliva. He spent 15 seasons all with the twins household name in these parts well loved um he did lose time due to injury which i think was the main reason that uh he he was voted in from people in those eras remember tonio as just being a great ball player two-time mvp runner-up and uh just giving him some credit for uh for some time that he lost due to injury which they don't do for everyone but you know if you're friendly and you make friends and the media loves you. They, they tend to do that. So. Absolutely. Stud Cuban ball player, rookie of the year winner. You mentioned the two 
runners up for MVP. And I also think that you always get a boost for staying with one team for your whole Absolutely. career. Absolutely. There's there's definitely a, a single team booster, uh, a little badge you earn basically that, that gives you those extra style points. For sure. And then rounding out the two other remaining golden era selections, we have Minnie Minoso, who is, you know, one of the, the staple names of baseball. This guy absolutely dedicated his life to baseball. He started as a 20 year old in 1946 with the New York Cubans uh, and then appeared in a major league game as late as 54 years old. And then I believe appeared even later in a St. Paul Saints game in the 90s. That is correct. Do you know how old he was then? Oh, goodness. Uh, It was, I don't like doing math on the spot. It was 1993. My point Uh, is, (laughs) that man has absolutely dedicated his life to baseball. Um, I thought he was a Hall of Famer already, but he is totally deserving, in my opinion. Um, of course you look at the stats and you'll see it's in that same range that a lot of these guys often hang out in, but a staple name to baseball that I think will be a welcome addition to the hall of fame. And with him, with him, um, I mean, he's the first black Cuban player. Um, and the other thing that the reason that, you know, you look at the stats and the reason I thought he should have been in and was more of a slam dunk, um, in addition to just, uh, the struggles of playing as a black ball player in that era is the fact that, I mean, he spent three seasons in the Negro leagues that he never got credit for. And then um, he got picked up by Cleveland first, Uh, first came up in 1949. Cleveland was scooping up all the former Negro league players and they didn't have room for him. He was good enough to play at a major league level, but the Indians just had too many, too, too many players, too many good players and uh, ended up getting uh, dealt to the White Sox. And that's where he made his mark uh, appearing again at uh, 76 and 80 for his uh, five, five decade appearances. So they found uh, a massive untapped market. What a concept, they did. right? Wow. It turns <laughs> out if we take the best players that have been ignored, we just get good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Glad we figured it out eventually. I, uh, finally, yeah. <laughs> we have Gil Hodges, who is a guy who lost out on some early development uh, to the war but really came into his own as a really talented all-around ball player, just the ideal first baseman. Um, I think of him kind of like Paul Goldschmidt, just like the perfect first base guy, does it all, solid glove, hits well, sticks around forever. Never had, you know, one absolute signature season, but um, just a really well-liked guy around baseball. I, I spent a lot of evenings listening to Vin Scully tell odd Gil Hodges stories. Um, so this, I think, is some point, as someone who's been talked about um, around the Hall of Fame with the Dodgers in that community for a long time. So I think this is good to finally see him get in there. And he's one of those guys, he wasn't quite a single team uh, guy. However, it, you kind of get a pass. He was with the Dodgers in Brooklyn for well over a decade team moves to LA he plays four seasons in LA and then he was one of those guys that the Mets brought back uh when the Mets moved uh, came into being in New York 
uh, he was one of the guys that they they asked to come and kind of legitimize the team as the team of of Brooklyn fans and of New York Giants fans. And uh, I mean, he was so well loved that he was the perfect choice. And so I kind of put him in the category of deserving of kind of that single moniker, a lot like Hank Aaron. Um, spent decade over a decade in Milwaukee team moves to Atlanta. He finishes out his career with the new Milwaukee team, just that kind of, yeah, two different franchises, but the spirit is there. I think the spirit is there. And of course, uh, not only did he finish his playing career with the Mets, but he also went on to become the manager of the Mets and was the manager of the 1969 miracle Mets. So that is absolutely worthy of recognition in itself as well. So from a managerial perspective and from a playing perspective, I think Gil has earned his spot. Absolutely. So those are your new Hall of Fame inductees from the Veterans Committees. And uh, that was the big news on Sunday. Now, uh, last episode, me and Maz were recording and there were deals flying. Uh, We had multiple deals break while we were recording Maz was kind of on the edge of his seat because he was waiting to hear some official Max Scherzer news. We didn't get it until the next day. Um, And there were just so many moves, but we've got uh, a few here that I felt were were worth talking about a little more here and really digging into not just the moves, but where these teams are moving forward with these moves. So we'll we'll get to those big ones uh, because there were a couple of big ones. Uh, that came out, but uh, one that uh, really stuck out to me, Robbie Ray to the Mariners, five years, 115 million. I feel like any time a Cy Young candidate gets scooped up, it's worth talking about. And uh, also it's to the Mariners who are they ready to spend again? Is that, is that the plan? I don't know. Love this move. I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. First of all, it's not as much as I thought Ray would get. I was worried that some team would get stuck paying for Cy Young, Robbie Ray, Um, which is not to say that I don't think Robbie Ray will be very good over these next five years. I do, but I don't, I, I don't think that you should expect what you got this year to be the norm for Robbie Ray. Um, But I was, I expected some team to get stuck, you know, throwing, 200 million at them or something, but that didn't end up happening. I think five years, 115 million is a very reasonable range. I think that's something that both sides can be very happy for. And then just in general for the Mariners, I love what this does for their team. I'd love to see them really go for it. I think they're looking at their timeline right now and maybe 2022 seems a little early. They're looking at guys like Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick who are continuing to develop who they think can be absolute studs at the major league level, maybe 2022 is, is, is a little early to kind of see all those pieces come together, but I would love to see the Mariners continue to push here, maybe spend a little bit more money when the lockout ends, bring in a guy like Chris Bryant, bring in another bat because we really saw how, despite being very timely last season, their offense was far too stagnant to really secure um, a playoff caliber squad. But with the the landscape of the AL West right now, and I'm, we may touch on the Rangers in a touch little on bit. This. Yeah, we're going to touch on them in a little bit. But, but I think that 
it's it's a it's a good time to to make it happen for the Mariners, and I love that they did this, and I'd love to see them do more. I feel like uh, I'm hoping this move is a signal that the Mariners are back to their their happy spending ways. I'm looking at it here. This is I don't know if I've ever seen a T. So normally you look at the baseball reference projections on contracts and you end up with all these guys like hitting arbitration and you know that not all of them will still be on the team but baseball reference still gives like the arb costs for them um they have here we go dollars committed they have a total of for 2023 14 million committed 2024 19.25 2025 8 million 2026 2 million and even with arbitration all those arbitration ones that you know not all the players are even going to be there um their highest total quote unquote is 2025 with 113 million which is well under where the mariners are going to be at that point um so you know that there's going to be some some room to spend there and uh yeah uh, I think we'll, we'll touch on it a little more with the Rangers, so I won't go too much into it. I like the move. I like them going for it. And uh, I like it a lot more than this next deal. Not that I don't like the deal. It just it confuses me a little bit. I'm interested to see what you think uh, about it. Uh, Marcus Stroman to the Cubs, three years, $71 million. You know, the, the Cubs think they're retooling is what we've seen from a couple reports uh in terms of the inside thinkings of the organization and i think that's okay you know um i think we we as fans might have too much of an all or nothing approach in terms of if your team isn't you know ready to win 110 games you should tear it down and you should if you're not going to be good you should be bad i think that it's okay to have a little bit of middle ground and i also think that Maybe the Cubs are looking around at this at this NL Central and they think they have a shot at it. I know the pitching in Milwaukee is so good, but once again, we saw that their offense just doesn't really exist. Yeah, it's the hard. Yeah, it's hard to win games when you can't score runs. It doesn't matter if the other team only scores one run if you don't score any. Like, <laughs> the Cardinals are, you know, say what you want, but I think the Cubs are looking around and. And they think that they might not be too far from this. And, and, you know, if you look back at what happens with, you know, the fall of the, the 2016 era Cubs, you can, you can point at the financials that were talked about a lot with, you know, the Ricketts choosing to expand into Wrigleyville and spend so much money on that. And then the timing with COVID and how that may have impacted their finances, whatever, if that ended up being why they chose not to retain any of those guys and they made the decision to, to ship them out, to get anything from them, to get at least some sort of value. I think that's something that from a, from a GM perspective, we probably respect as smart fans, or we think of ourselves as smart fans because you get something, you know, you generate some sort of value from those guys, but you know. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I feel like when a GM makes that decision, you got to respect the GM because ultimately it feels like with the Cubs, especially it comes down to the owner's unwillingness to spend Um, because as a GM at that point, you're not just looking at, well, you know, I can build a team around them. It, it, it's, 
can I build a team around them that gets me more value than what I can get by building a team without them for the future? And uh, I, I, I feel like the Cubs should, should, the Cubs should be one of those teams that's uh, going all, uh, going all Mets and opening their pocketbook. Um, maybe not quite to the extent of the Mets, um, which we might as well just talk about right now, because this is the big one. I was hoping it would break while me and Maz were recording last week, because that would have been really cool to hear him react live to. Um, Max Scherzer does indeed go to the Mets on the largest average annual value contract ever. Three years, uh, $130 million. And keep in mind, he still has some deferrals from the Nats. Uh, I believe he will be making uh, almost $60 million a year when you add those deferrals in. It's not quite, but but right around there uh, hey, when you add that together. Don't forget those sick four sweet seats that he gets to every home game that have apparently for some reason become a really hot topic in contracts that players are signing i don't know why is this a new thing i feel like this is a new thing is it is it a new thing or is it a new publicized that thing? is public yeah that we're talking about how Corey seager also gets the right to purchase four seats to every game i don't know why that's i don't know why we get to know that i don't well, really care i guess but... the, the interesting thing is i'm sure it's because of where the seats are because i'm pretty sure players can get comped seats pretty much whenever but those those seats, you know, that's that's what makes the big difference here, right? And I'm right? sure if you're a player, especially if you're a big player and you had a lot of people who like you and who want to come see you, I'm sure it's probably a big pain to have to deal with organizing seats and dealing with that. So maybe it is easier to just kind of have have yours and just deal with it that way. But regardless, that's that was a stupid aside by me. Let's talk well, about the actual see, baseball. Ev- okay, but but every time every time uh, I I think of something like that. Um, I think of the scene of for love of the game when uh, Kevin Costner's character invites the the girl of the, his you know the love interest to a game and all the players wives are sitting there like oh look at this week's model you know that that's what I always think so I, I don't want to accuse anyone of anything wanting some separate seats from the regular uh, players wives and girlfriends sections but that's just what comes to mind every time I think about comp seats <laughs> the elitism you get when you get to sign massive AAV deals that's yeah I mean and that's exactly what this is this is a massive AAV deal it's a ton of money for uh, a now 38 uh, year old Scherzer I believe I- I just can't bet against Scherzer. But I love it. Yeah, You exactly. can't bet it's, against Scherzer. I love Scherzer. this deal. I, I love the fact that they went for it. I love the fact that despite Cohen's Twitter wackiness and quirkiness, that the Mets now have the largest payroll in the majors. Uh, I'm pretty sure they have a higher payroll than some NFL teams, which is ridiculous when you consider how many players NFL teams have on their rosters um yeah uh, just good to see cohen put his money where his mouth is and we've seen of course the lindor extension happened but i mean that had to happen if mm-hmm. you're gonna get him you're gonna extend him so i don't you know see a lot of a lot of credit given there but we talked about the mets spending money and cohen spending money and he's done it this is it 
Um, we've seen the other moves too. Um, they also brought in uh, guys like Kana. They brought in, can you help me out here with the other Mets edition? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have Marte. And Escobar. Um, and Escobar. So we see there's a lot of, of new talent coming here. But as for Max Scherzer, I mean, I do think that, I, I, you know, I mentioned his age. I, I do think it's worth mentioning that he's been ridden really hard over the last decade. Um, that deal that he signed with the Nationals might go down as the most valuable free agent contract in history. Um, but he pitched a lot of innings over that time. He gave a lot of his best work during that time. And then, of course, you see him traded to the Dodgers this past trade deadline. And he was still ridden pretty hard down the stretch there, too, even though he's recently come out with some interesting comments about not being ridden hard enough, which I don't I, I know you're a crazy man, Max, but I don't I'm not sure what Mad you're getting Max. at there. <laughs> he is Mad Max for sure. But dude's a Hall of Famer. He's Max Scherzer. And the Dodgers showed what adding him to your team can do to your rotation overnight, can can do to the way that your team and your rotations perceived overnight. So I love the move and I think it'll do a lot for the Mets this year. And I don't know if you're going to get three full healthy seasons out of Max Scherzer, but you, you got to hope that you get something really special. I just know if if Scherzer and DeGrom can be healthy and if the Mets offense actually, you know, does offense things, we've, we've talked about this. Um, if they make the playoffs and it's looking like it's going to be an expanded playoff based on all the, the CBA discussions. Um, how would you like to roll into a three game series with Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom as the, uh, the two guys you have to beat to get get the game to, to move on like suboptimal I, for that, sure that's not less that's than ideal less than ideal and it i know carlos carrasco struggled last year i know he's 34 but i mean if he can regain just a portion i would pump the brakes <sighs> a little bit there i do I, think that there there needs to be one more starter added to that do. rotation they need, i know they taiwan need walker starters. had a really impressive first half of the season that second half of the season i think kind of showed a little bit more of of what you should expect from him yeah um which isn't to say that he's not a good pitcher i think he's a solid guy to have in your starting rotation but i don't think that he's an intimidating 3 um, and maybe you can get away with having that one and two. You can get away with having literally Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, and that's enough. And then you can kind of piece together anything else because you can ride two of the most impressive arms that we've seen in this generation. But I would like to see a little bit more. I would like to see a little bit more from, from the arms for New York if they do see themselves as you know, ideally a world series contender going into next season, but even just to get into the playoffs, which I think hasn't happened for them in, in, in quite a while since, well, you know, since they won the pennant. Yeah. So just tough, which it's, it's hard to believe that that was, you know, over half a decade ago. I still remember (laughs) trudging through the Dodger stadium parking lot after losing game five of the 2015 NLDS and not being able to find my car and just having the worst night of my life. Just so sad, so much disappointment, <sighs> so many annoying loud Mets fans honking their horn in the parking lot, just wandering aimlessly trying to find my oh, car. Man, that's, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. It's the highs and lows of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's how that's how baseball works. Uh, and so we'll we'll see what the Mets can do. Um, I feel like they're in better shape than the other team we're going to talk about on a spending spree. But I do. They've spent all this money. They have the highest payroll, but I feel like they still can't be done yet. Like, yeah, I mean, if you look at this more. roster right now and you compare them to the other top teams in the National League, um, obviously the Dodgers are going to do a ton more, but how do you see this Mets team facing up against that Dodgers team, facing up against uh, a revamped Padres team that I think was always planning for 2022, 20, 20, sorry, 2022 to be yeah. the key year with Clevenger coming back and and hopefully some some version of that rotation being at full strength. Um, with the, the Giants coming off of the year they just had, where do you see the Mets in, in the grand scope of the National League? I, Even I with don't... the Braves, who just won a World Series. And so the Braves, the Braves are interesting um, because – I remember in the playoffs, everyone was saying, well, how is anyone ever going to beat this Braves team? And I'm like, they won 88 games this year. I mean, yeah, they're great. Yeah, they lost their star, but they're being carried by a trio of rental outfielders here. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm interested. We'll see how free agency shakes out. Um, but I feel like it's a fool's errand to doubt the Braves at this point uh, in the regular season. Um and the Braves finally got over that hump where, you know, you assume that they're going to win in the regular season and lose in the playoffs because now they, they've won in the one in the playoffs, which is uh, more than the Georgia football team can say about showing Aww. up for big games. So uh, I'll have to throw Rude. some shots fired there. Uh, our, our, you know, who had a good, good day. Uh, if you, uh, listeners, if you you were uh, listening a couple weeks ago, we had on the Braves fan who got to go to um, every World Series game and then crashed the uh, crashed the World Series party. Um, we had him on. Uh, we had Connor on uh, uh, back on episode forty seven, and uh, he's a Bama he's a Bama fan and a Braves fan, so he's living his best life this year. Uh, wow. so <laughs> good, they good for you, Connor. Laugh. Uh, they can, they can. All right. Anyways, anyways, uh, the, the next team on our list here that just up and decided to, to spend money without much like warning, like no warning at all. And no, like ramp up just suddenly, hi, we're the Texas Rangers. Corey Seager, we'd like to give you a 10-year, $325 million deal. And oh, hey, you get to join our new friends, Marcus Simeon, John Gray, and Cole Calhoun while you're at it. So welcome to the club in our fancy new ballpark that's already hosted more World Series games than any other ballpark uh, in the last two years. We we should be doing nothing but applauding the Rangers we sh- and we supporting... Should? the rangers this is good for baseball this is what we should want teams to be doing i know here's the thing if you oh if you're the person who comments all to win 77 games next year you're part of the problem because That's look not, even if they do just it's win not part of the problem it's being a realist but even i if like they that they just win 77 games even if they are so mediocre and so boring and so whatever doing what they, the mariners did for years 
but they they they're trying they're to something. put out a product. They're trying to put out something. They're making an effort. They Absolutely. just spent half a billion dollars on trying to bring in great players to make their team better. And that's what we should want every single team in the major leagues to do. Ab- so Absolutely. There should be nothing but positive reinforcement for the Rangers. Um, and they might need it from, from us because I'm not sure the on-field results uh, overall are, might, might not be the... We'll see. I could be sitting here next year when we're doing episode 100 and saying, yeah, I don't remember saying anything about the Rangers on episode 50 as they finally bring a title to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. what. Where do you see them falling out with just these moves? Uh, if they were just done, they might make some more moves. They might no, not be done. These but. are long deals. Um, so I don't think they're just looking at next year. I think they are looking at, you know, their young guys turning into something, which is, that's always the key part. That's always the part that you can kind of just throw your arms up in the air and you have to wait and see what happens because if they have the right guys come up and everything clicks, they look like geniuses. And if that last step never really happens, then that is when you kind of get stuck in the, the 70 something wins kind of wasteland. But like I said, they're making an effort. They're trying. They went and they paid for probably what m- might be the best middle infield in baseball now with Simeon probably. and Seager. Um, they just put great bats in the middle of their lineup that they'll be able to build around for years to come. Um, Corey Seager, for all we know, could be on a Hall of Fame trajectory, which is, you know, it's, it's early still in the, in the scope of his career we don't realize that he'll spend more time in a Rangers uniform than you've seen him in a Dodgers uniform. Um, And I think he might be one of the active winningest players of all time or career winning percentage winning players of all time. Anyone anyone who's been on the Dodgers Dodgers team and nothing else. (laughs) Um, So he's definitely going to, if you believe in that winning culture sort of thing, he can provide that he won his NLCS and World Series MVPs in that very building. Um, so, you know, he likes to hit there and um, he's going to eventually move to third base, but he'll hold down a spot on the left side of that infield for the next 10 years and do a solid job doing it. Marcus Simeon's great. John Gray is a legit pitcher. Cole Calhoun always makes me angry. Just, I don't <laughs> know. He just, he just does. But the Rangers are doing good things. And if they suck, they suck. It's not ideal. I also think there should be something to be said about uh, the school of thought that if you're going to spend, you might as well spend a lot. That's true. Um, might Just go for it. And uh, like you said, these are long-term deals. Simeon's there for seven years. Seager's obviously there for 10. That's a lot of window to have open. And I, these guys aren't that old. They're Mm-mm. they're gonna be good for for a while here, um, so there that's the thing you're you're laying the foundations of a window right now. Um, and we I, touched on the AL West the, and the landscape go. of the AL West. All right, so uh, just think, real quick before we get to that landscape, I'm excited to see John Gray pitch outside of Coors. I'm excited absolutely. to see what he can do when half his games, his pitches will have no movement. Uh, this is the case when you pitch in Colorado, half your starts, you, you can't make the ball move. And what's the point of really focusing on those? I'm interested to see what he can do uh, a lot closer to sea level. But then, yes, the, uh, the, a, 
AL West and what that looks like. First of um, all, good thing that the the Rockies also you know got something for John Gray, right? Even though he he went and it would oh, be it'd be oh. so terrible if you just let someone like that go with the oh. scracks. We're sorry. This is the third or fourth straight oh. episode ragging on this, oh. but it's it's easy. It's there. Oh, it's so easy. Figure it out, Montfort. Figure it out, Colorado. It's a beautiful stadium. It's a beautiful place. I can't just. Just Put, get something for your players, Rockies. Stop making horrible just decisions. Do better. They figured something out last year. The home record was so good. I want to believe that was real. Okay, sorry. Sorry. We're talking sorry. about the AL West. We're talking about the, the AL West. West. <laughs> I think that all of these other teams in the AL West are finally, they've been waiting. They're like the young gorillas waiting for the old gorilla to die. They've been waiting for the Astros to finally get just weak enough so they can pounce on them and they can kill them and become the leader of the pack. I don't know if this will finally be the year where that happens See, to the Astros. I think the thing losing, is, losing Correa might, I don't know. I mean, even, even if the Astros are weaker, I do think they are weaker, but when your, your starting line is like, uh, arguably best team in the AL over a long period of time. And then uh, you're going down from there. That's you can go quite a ways before you're off of playoff caliber team. Um, but that's I, I'm, this is so wide open right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see where that goes. We talked about the Mariners and um what they're kind of looking to jumpstart here. I want them to make the playoffs. I want them to make the playoffs in not one of the fringe. If they go to like a 16 team playoff, I wouldn't want them to make it as like team number 16. That would be, that would be a very sad, sad thing. Um, as, but, almost as sad as a 16 team playoff. Please don't give me a 16 team oh playoff gosh. for it, the love of can, all I, things. Yeah. I heard what I heard. The we'll we'll talk about next week. We will have some playoff uh discussion, and it might not be it might not be as serious as actually breaking down the 14 team MLB proposal or the 12 team MLB players association proposal. Um but uh, we'll, we'll look at the playoffs next week. I know Nime and Phil were really excited to talk about that. Um, but if you're the uh, Angels, you yeah. have to do something. You're looking at Trout and Otani and Rendon. Now's and the they time. Are. They are. And they They're are. making some moves. They have Which that. Good. They have that Pujols money off the books. Got that Pujols money. Got that Pujols money off Ding. the books. They can definitely do something with that. And they're, they started they're working on the pitching. They still can't be done. I think we all know that. I hope they know that. Um, well, made... picking up Otani Light was a fun move. That was um, cool. I'm excited to see how how two two-way players on the same team works out. Um, one and a half. One and a half. Really Otani get the whole because really. Is it like like is one and a half Otani's, like three child Otani's stacked on top of each other in a trench coat. That's a one and a half that's, Otani. That's, uh, yeah, that's who okay. Michael Frenzen is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's, all right. So, yeah, but the 
it's interesting to see the Rangers jumping in um, right now. It's interesting to me because it feels like the Angels have to be going all in. The Mariners are starting to make their moves and the Astros, I don't think are quite, they're not quite weakened yet. So really the only team whose window is closing is the A's. So that might be our next really exciting division to really follow where you've got multiple teams trying to open up windows at the same time. Uh, One behemoth that's sitting there trying to stay alpha male in this gorilla pack that you've uh, you've created here. And uh, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a fun division to watch. I believe the quote, the anonymous quote from a member of the Rangers front office when asked why, why now is so what? So we could not do it this year, go get our ass kicked and then try it again next year, which I think is, is a, is a fair way of thinking about it. You know, the angels are going to go for it. You know, the Mariners are looking at figuring it out. You know, the Astros are probably on the downswing, but they're still going to be there. If you're going to try to win baseball games, you might as well do it now. Um, and like I said, positive reinforcement. I think these are all, all of these moves we talked about today are moves that we should be looking at more teams to be able to do. You know, that that Marcus, the Marcus Stroman signing for 71 million over three years, all 30 teams in baseball should be willing to sign that contract. I am upset that the Twins did not sign that contract because that... we need pitching. Um, but I'm still so delighted by having Byron Buxton locked up for the next seven years that I it's hard to make much criticism which is terrible that's how twins fans are we're too blinded by keeping a star around that we forget to criticize other get. moves just gotta take what you can get just so glad to have Buxton around that's right oh all right anything else from the week that uh, you wanted to touch on here Shane we should have if we missed anything we should have plenty of weeks without it getting too too stale yeah we have plenty of time to circle back to things for sure plenty of time to circle back well well thank you shane for joining me on this chilly night for both of us you in your 60s and me at my negative three uh go chilly, turn my heated blanket on chilly, oh my gosh this chilly chilly evening here um what's not chilly is the wonderful warmth that is emanated from our guests coming up ashley mclennan uh, she will be talking with Maz when we come back from this break. So make sure to stick around for that. And thank you once again, everyone, for helping us get to episode number five zero. Very excited to be doing this for a year. And uh, yeah, keep listening and please stick around. All right, everybody, welcome back. I am, of course, M. Maz, and I'm excited to bring back one of our favorite friends of the show. She writes for the SB Nation blogs of D-Rays Bay, Bleed Cubby Blue, and Bless You Boys. She's also co-hosted the Who's on Worst podcast this past year, where she broke down some bad baseball movies. And I, of course, am speaking about the most wonderful Ashley McLennan. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us again after much pestering. Uh, Welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be back. I love coming on the show with you guys. Yeah, same here. I love having you on. I love having uh, someone in my life to talk about uh, not only baseball, but with Taylor Swift as well. Um, So, oh, I'm so excited to talk about that later. (laughs) 
most important things in anyone's life, Taylor <laughs> Swift and baseball. Let's get out of the silly <laughs> baseball stuff out of the way. Um, Absolutely. As I mentioned in the intro, you write for three blogs for SB Nation, and I realized that earlier this week that all three of those teams had something happen before the lockout, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it has uh, been a wild ride the last seven to ten days, let me tell you. Yeah. Well, let's uh, go one by one. I guess we'll start with the most important objectively if i'm wrong please let me know uh we had the big raise news was wander franco signed his extension for 11 years 182 million dollars um for one of the best young prospects in baseball what is the feeling in Rays world about wander franco and that extension Absolute hype. I think, I mean, I think last time I was on, we were talking about what prospect I couldn't wait to see come up. And I was Franco, Franco, Franco all the time. Um, Obviously, he had just an absolutely stellar, stellar rookie season. Mm. Uh, Was very much in consideration for rookie of the year, although I am not mad that Randy Rosarena got it instead. I think that kind of two postseason stretch for Randy was just amazing and it's kind of like a one in a million thing that we'd never see again so i'm kind of glad he got it but like that on base run that wander had you Mm -hmm. know getting a home run in his first game all of those things i think really signaled to people that he was exactly the player that everyone was hoping he would be Mm -hmm. um and it's just been such a sensational pleasure to watch him play this season and for the rays to get him i think what I think is a very fair rate uh, considering what he would probably fetch if he reached free agency at a younger age. Um, I think it's a great deal for the Rays. I think it's a great deal for Franco. I know a lot of people are like, Oh, he should have held out. He could have gotten more, but who's going to be mad about getting a guaranteed 183 million, 182 million, potentially up to 223 million. And I mean, he's just locked down his future and his family's future in one signature. So, I mean, good for him. Yeah, I think I I mentioned it uh, last week was that, you know, like you said, it's kind of a steal of a contract. Um, If he pans out the way that people expect him to, uh, I mean, he could be like the best shortstop in the game. And he's making like almost nothing. I mean, when you look at other superstar players like Tatis, like Lindor, you know, other shortstops, like he's going to be making quote nothing. Uh, You know, it's not nothing for us, but you know, for a shortstop. Well, I mean, you look at what Seeker just got going to the Rangers. You look at what Correa is going to get. Correa is going to get over 300 million wherever he signs. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Javier Baez just signing this week with the Tigers Mm -hmm. got a fairly decent, I think, what was it? 140 million over six for six spoilers we'll talk about that later yeah which (laughs) is you know pretty impressive um so i think all said and done you know it's a good deal for the rays who are smart when it comes to their business Mm -hmm. um but i don't think by any means it's an unfair deal to franco Mm -hmm. it's you know a really good early opportunity for them to lock him down and I think for Rays fans, it's delightful because it means we can go out and get a jersey and we can be guaranteed that that player is still going to be on the team in three years, which is not something that is always the case. Yeah, I think I, I mentioned it. Uh, I believe it was on Twitter. I don't know if it was at you or not, but like I really want one of those Rays, Devil Rays uh, kind yeah. of rainbow Franco jerseys or at least a jersey. Like you can get me on one of those. Uh, unfortunately, can't buy one right now. But... <laughs> Now, you said the the Rays, you did mention they're usually very smart with their deals and what they do. Do you think 
the only reason they sign Franco to this deal is because they can get him on the quote unquote cheap? Or do you think if he may be held out for another year and demanded that say he puts up a stellar year next year and demands that high Lindor Correa money, you think they still would have gone for it or no? I think they saw an opportunity after a really strong first season to make him an offer. And I think there was no obligation on Franco's part to take that offer. Right. Um, he absolutely could have said, Hey, no, you know, let's just keep thinking about it. Let's circle back to this in a year. Those kind of conversations are always happening between players, agents, and teams. And I don't think that there would have been any bad blood between the front office of the Rays and the Franco team. If he'd said, Hey, I'm going to kind of see how next year pans out. But I think he's he's kind of a dynamic all-in player. And I think that part of that is always a consideration of injury. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, he is young and he's doing really well. But I think, you know, you can't discount the fact that he comes from a less than, you know, bountiful economic upbringing. True. And, and I think you come to a situation where somebody's, you know, willing to sign you a check for $180 million, you're probably not going to say no to it. And I don't think that's the raise taking advantage. Yeah. I think that's him saying this is guaranteeing my value over 11 years and setting me up in a way that I'm set for life. Yeah. So- Exactly. And I mean, it's an 11 year deal. It's not like, you know, a 15 year deal. It's not, I think it was that Stanton contract. It was like a 15 year deal or like a 14 year deal. Scherzer's was what, 14? Because it was seven years play and then seven years extending the contract out from there, which I laugh at all the time because it means he's getting paid bank by the Mets now and continuing to get paid by the Nationals. And by Washington, right. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, you, you, you get that bank, Max. Good for you. And he is 20. Yeah. When he hits free agency, he'll still still arguably be in his prime. So yeah, he can. I think he's eligible twenty twenty seven, and if he does, I mean, well, yeah. So he's not even thirty yet. If you yeah. think about it, like he's fine if he stays healthy and he continues to be the player that he is. And who even knows where the Rays are going to be after twenty twenty seven? If we think about it, right? That's when right. the stadium contract expires. Who knows where age. they'll be? That's the big thing, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the Rays will still be a team no matter what, but oh, yeah. they may not be under that moniker, and they may not be in that city, um, which would hurt me a lot. But um, yeah. that'd be a shame, I think, because everybody thinks it's a good city. It's just they kind of have a bad location and a bad building, so it's not that I Florida think- can't sustain them. No, by no means. I think part of the biggest problem, and I mean, this is a whole other discussion, but I think part of the biggest problem for the Rays is that it's a commute to get to the Trop. So I've heard. And if it wasn't in St. Pete and if it was in, you know, downtown Tampa proper or in the Liber region or one of those places that are more walkable, more somebody can just bop over at the end of their work day and kind of it's not a one hour bridge drive to get there those are the kind of things that have to be taken into consideration if they want to thrive in that market. And I think they can, Mm. but it's finding and getting those agreements in place and to stop talking about this stupid Montreal plan. (laughs) Well, hopefully the commitment to a guy like Franco for the next 11 years is kind of a sign of like, we want to at least try to be competitive, especially in a, in a strong division. Um, I guess the only other big raise news was 
another kind of like longer tenured Ray, I feel. Joey Wendell got uh, traded to the Marlins. My heart. Yeah. I was so bummed. I think that there was like a lot of, I don't think a lot of people care about Joey Wendell, which is a terrible I thing to say. Do he's a name? I loved Joey Wendell. Joey Wendell's like this. I feel like he fell right out of 1930 and he's like this old, old school, full wooden bat, no tape, no gloves, just gets out there and does his thing. And he was such a gamer and like, uh, I just absolutely adored him so much. Like, and I feel like I was like one of three people that was in the really big Joey Wendell fan club with the Rays, which was apparently not the case because we had quite a, a lot of discussion about it after his exit with D-Rays Bay. But yeah, I was crushed by that. I'm not surprised. I honestly thought he kind of was going to be on the block for trades last year before the trade deadline because he's a pretty reliable middle infielder and he does his job really well and he's surprisingly effective at the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, I mean, I'm not shocked that a team like the Marlins, who's apparently looking to do something next year, I guess, just um, a surprise. Um, but I, I'm not shocked that they would kind of have taken him on that. So I'm sad, but not surprised. Yeah, I know. Uh, as a Met fan, I feel like he's a guy that's going to just kind of be a pain all of 2022. And uh, whenever his kind, I think he's signed through 2023. I think so. Not really sure. But yeah, he's just a guy that great, great. I get to look at him now for the next two years. Awesome. <laughs> Can't I mean, wait. For a completely superficial line. There are worse people in the world to have to look at than Joey Wendell. <laughs> Very true. Good point. Um, I guess to kind of round things out on the Rays, I it's early. We still don't really know what other moves they're gonna make, but what do you put their chances at them repeating as ALE's champs right now? I don't think enough has changed in the negative for them to not make another run for it. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen any big enough moves from competitors unless we look at the Jays to really say that there's another strongest candidate in the AL East. That said, I'm sure all the writers will be talking about the Red Sox and the Yankees first and foremost, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think they've got it. I think that they've, they've, I think if they add, I would love to see them add like one more starting pitcher would be nice. I mean, they added Corey Kluber, which is fantastic. A guy that um, I, I'm so ready to win comeback player of the year next year. Uh, would love to see it. Um, would love to see it. And I, I think they have the really strong youth movement. Obviously, Tyler Glass now is probably going to be out for most of next season still, yeah. which is a bit of a bummer. That's but I think if we, you know, see them make some kind of move towards that, they can be really, really strong contenders. And of course they brought back the most important player of all in Brett Phillips. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they can't be beat. Okay. <laughs> well, the other, one of the other blogs that you write for is bless you boys. That's the tigers. Um, I think this is the most second, most important news <laughs> is the Tigers signed, yeah. signed Javier Baez. You did mention a little while ago, but it's a six year, $140 million contract. Uh, overall, weather report on how fans are feeling about Javi Baez? Um, I think it's a mixed bag of feelings, right? I think Mm. a lot of people genuinely believed that when Chris Elich said that they were ready to spend and they were ready to make those moves to make a competitive, you know, team that might contend for something, um, people were thinking Correa. They were thinking Correa beginning to end. You saw AJ Hinch out having conversations with him, you know, at like a brunch place. <laughs> you saw him starting to follow a bunch of people on social media. I think the fever storm of, of belief was there. And then you saw, you know, 
Corey Seager get the contracts that he got. And people were like, oh, I don't think Chris Illich is ready to spend that kind of money. Mm. And I think it became clear very quickly that they'd gotten priced out of the Korea market. And while I think two years ago, had they signed Baez, people would have lost their senses with excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not a great bat. (laughs) But I think what they're not taking into consideration is what his bat will look like in Comerica Park. Um, He's got limited play there, but it's well over 300. And I think he's going to leg out a metric ton of triples in that park because he's fast. And that is a deep, deep outfield. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think it'll be interesting. I'm not mad at it. I'm obviously also a Cubs fan. So I'm pretty hyped. You're a Mets fan. I know there was a bit of not so great blood there this season. Nobody can see it on the podcast, but I'm giving a thumbs down motion right now. So, uh, you know, I'll just inform everybody um, out there. Which hilariously would also not play very well at Comerica. I'll Fraud. say that's not going to play well anywhere except no. me. Like, I don't know, maybe three teams. We I, had a really a few years back, and I honestly, his name is escaping me. It's Tyler something. And it, I, he once flipped off the crowd at Comerica for booing him. Uh, and that oh, moment has not forgotten by any stretch of the imagination so and joe nathan used to get really up in arms about tigers fans kind of sassing him from this so we'll see how it goes but i'll say that i'm kind of looking forward to it he's a super dynamic infielder he's just a ton of fun to watch when he's on the top of his game yes yeah if he can work something out at the plate i think it's going to be fun you know, three years before he starts to decline and then we're miserable and really mad at that contract. Yeah. Well, at least it's not a Miggy contract where it's going to like handicap you, you know, on the last three years to deal if he's terrible. Exactly. Um, You mentioned his bat, you know, as a Met fan, obviously I watched every game he played as a Met. He did seem to kind of fix his swing when he was a Met. He struck out a lot less. He, you know, hit for power like he always does but i think that's maybe the reason that i'm okay losing him as a met fan and the reason that i didn't want to resign him is do do you believe that like this is just him now like he just flipped a switch and was just like okay i'll fix my swing now do you believe that because i didn't no i tend not to believe that a one season change is a lifetime change yeah um so like i said i'm i i'm trying to be cautiously optimistic um, I would be happier if this turned out to be a giant ruse and he was secretly the second baseman of the future and that they were also going to sign Carlos Correa. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's going to happen. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that what it represents because what it represents is that the Tigers after a very long and dark period of being one of the worst teams in baseball mm-hmm. and absolutely just an abysmal drag to watch as a fan are trying something. They're signing people. They've signed, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez from the Red Sox. They've signed Baez. I think that they're looking to make a couple more moves still. And it represents the willingness to start making long-term deals, Mm -hmm. which means I think that they're actually thinking about their future and that I can get excited about. Yeah. Same here. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that they are not the worst team in baseball like like they had been previously um do you think that maybe 2022 is the season that they start making progress in like a weak division yeah or maybe this is like the last year and then 23 is like okay now we're ready i 
think, I mean, I don't think that we're going to see them take the Central by any mm. stretch of the imagination. But will they compete for a playoff spot? I think, well, it depends on what happens with the CBA and how many spots there are by wow. the time we talk about this. Mm, in very part. true. <laughs> but I think what we'll see is a team that's actually over a 500. And that okay. that's a kind of level of of optimism I'm willing to commit to for the Tigers. Um, I mean, at one point last season, they were second in the division, which I think is more of a, a testament to how bad the division was and not how good the Tigers were. Yeah. Um, but it's not like that division got a ton stronger so far this off season. Like the, the Indians, Oh, sorry. The Guardians. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, quarter, in the, quarter in the Indians jar. Quarter in the jar. <laughs> um, the Guardians have done almost nothing in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, adding moves. I think their payroll right now is slated to be one of the teams under the, the total of what Max Scherzer is getting paid for a year. Yeah. And they might, and they um, might get rid of Joe Ram. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, the, the twins were just so abysmal last year. They mm. did sign Byron Buxton to an extension, which I think is a great move for them, totally. but I'm not sure what else they've really done to, to add depth. So I don't know. I could see the Tigers, clawing up and and giving themselves but the white Sox aren't gonna like be an easy team to beat they're still gonna be really strong next year so i can see the tigers finishing second and over 500 that's a prediction i'm willing to stand by (laughs) (laughs) yeah well there you go i mean that's that's definitely an improvement you know it was 2019 18 and 17 they lost or got close to losing 100 games so i guess if you can figure 2022 is going to be an above 500 season yeah that, that's progress, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, starting this season, I thought they were going to have one of their worst years ever, and they really turned things around. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll take it. All right. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely want to see them uh, be good, uh, especially with Miggy uh, on the cl- on the decline of his career. I kind of want to see him maybe compete and be more in the playoffs, <laughs> you know, like when he was in the beginning of his career. It would so, be nice. Place we in my the, heart as well. You know, the countdown to the 3,000 3, pit is still there. Yep. So there's still going to be some generated excitement around Miggy before he can like, you know, hang it up and pretend like he cares without actually caring. But <laughs> he's such a gamer. He like, mm-hmm. he's going to go out there and play until his legs fall off. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's, he's so committed to the game. It's the detriment to him and his health. So I, uh, I'd love to see him be able to go into one more postseason before he retires, though. Is uh, 2022 the year we see Torque at the end of the season or still too early? I think he's still 23. I would love that so much. Especially with nobody on the left side of the infield, really. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Riley Green next year. Mm. Those would be big dreams. But I think they're going to be real cautious with Torkelson. Okay. Um, I think you're definitely more likely to see Green next season of the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't surprise me. Like, they've been, I think, a little bit more willing to bring those guys up early um, mm. if they are ready for it. Um, so it wouldn't shock me, especially in September. Oh, my God. I He could be a September call-up, no doubt in my mind um depends on if they're competing i guess (laughs) yeah but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they gave him that little sip of coffee just to kind of get him ready for the big show in 2023 um so well i'm looking forward to that as well uh the last team that you cover is the cubs and i guess the major news from this week was that they signed good friends of mets fans everywhere uh, and New York media everywhere, Marcus <laughs> Stroman. 
uh, is thrilled to be a Cub uh, for three years and $71 million with an opt-out after the second year. Uh, says that he was very happy to be in uh, Wrigley, which is the one stadium he has apparently never pitched in. And uh, yeah, th- thank everybody. Possible. I That just blew my mind when I realized that he'd never pitched a game at Wrigley. I didn't realize that was even like... Yeah. I mean, I, he was only with the Mets for what, two? Two years. Yeah. 2020 doesn't count. He opted out. But yeah, two years. We play yeah. the Cubs, you know, so a couple times. That's that's what mystified me. I'm like, surely. But I guess the way it worked, I mean, he might have gone there, but yeah. not pitched. <laughs> um, so that's just, that kills me. I mean, I think the only time I ever saw the Mets play at Wrigley, I got to see Bartolo Colon pitch, which was a oh. highlight my life quite frankly oh then who needs marcus stroman you saw you saw bart pitch um no i think i'm 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 not unhappy about the signing i want to make that very clear i think it's a really good move for them and i think that he got paid way less than i expected he would get paid especially with the way he was hyping himself up yeah so i don't know if part of it's that he's just so stoked to play for the cubs specifically i don't know Mm. if he's just an enormous fergie jenkins fan and wants to like be be. there when the statue goes up or just wants to be part of that legacy i guess Um, he's he's an honorary canadian i guess because he played in in toronto Toronto, so many years absolutely so there could could be be something (laughs) there but like i just i i thought he would get more Mm -hmm. but I'm not mad about it at all. I just am, I think I'm more confused than anything as to what it means for the Cubs and Mm. what they're trying to do. I think obviously it indicates that they're not committed to like a rebuild, like a rebuild in terms of like cut everything down to the ground, you know, let it lay waste for a couple of seasons. A quote full rebuild. (laughs) Yeah. They're, I think they're doing like a little maybe retool is the phrase I've seen floated around. And obviously Mm. they've lost a lot of their core from that 2016 team. I mean, Chris Bryant's gone. Anthony Rizzo's gone. Javier Baez is gone. It, It doesn't look like the same team by any stretch. Um, but to me, adding someone like Stroman on a three-year contract says, no, like we still want to be competitive. And the NL Central is always a super weird division too, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one of those divisions where with the exception maybe of the Pirates, it's almost anybody's game. Mm-hmm. And it usually is. Like usually there's like two games between the like number one and number four spot in that division for about six months out of the year. So mm-hmm. um I don't know. They could be, I, I don't, in my heart of hearts, don't feel like they're going to be competitive or contending next year. Yeah. Same here. But I think that they're trying something, which I hope fans kind of feel appeased by mm-hmm. in that, you know, you've given up your marquee players, but you're bringing in a guy like Marcus Stroman. You're bringing in a guy like Clint Frazier, who I think we can't dismiss as being an interesting pickup for them. Yeah. I think that makes sense. You know, Jan Gomes makes sense. Yeah. Clint as Frazier does makes Clint. sense. Um, but like Stroman is, was like a quote, big yeah. pitching free agent so like that yeah, that's the weird part you know <laughs> yeah that's i think where because i could see what they were doing when it was just the on gomes signing but it was just the clint right. frazier signing i'm like yeah okay this makes sense <laughs> get it and then they signed stroman and i'm like 
this does not make sense, <laughs> but it's very interesting. So yeah. I think that's one to keep an eye on. I think that'll be an interesting. So you think yeah. you think their plans after I guess what was arguably a disappointing 2021 is is kind of to just this not full rebuild, but rebuild. Do you think they get rid of Contreras now? I know Yankee oh. fans are like clamoring for Contreras. They, everybody wants can Yankee, all Yankee fans want Contreras. <laughs> it'll be an interesting thing, right? Like they, obviously they tendered him a contract. So he's still on the team. If they mm -hmm. move him, it'll be a trade. I don't know because I find it hard imagining why you would keep both Contreras and Jan Gomes on the team. Gomes isn't like, Contreras played way more games last season than Gomes did, obviously, mm -hmm. but he, Gomes to me doesn't read backup catcher yet in his career. He's still playing a hundred plus games a season. And I don't know that he's ready to take that bench spot. I think he played 108 games last season. Um, so to me, that doesn't read backup catcher. Um, and I don't think Contreras wants to be a backup catcher. I could see them kind of platooning it, but I think, I don't know. That one is weird to me too, right? Like that combo. I mean, it depends, I guess, what you can get for Contreras now that they've picked him up. Um, he is I younger. I mean, Wilson Contreras is, is 29 and Jan Gomes is yeah. 34. Yeah. So uh, I, maybe Jan Gomes, their idea is like Jan Gomes is going to start moving towards being a backup because he's a little older. That's definitely uh, a possibility. Three more ancient in terms of catchers. Yes, for a like, catcher. Absolutely. Like my, <laughs> this is so stupid. One of my all-time favorite players is Alex Avila, and which is such a weird, I know. But I don't think anyone's he, ever said that sentence. I think that's a brand new no, sentence. No, I don't. I think his his wife is probably the only person other than me. Uh, he's not even Al Avila's favorite player, as we learned. Um, but it's I loved him, and he just retired uh, this year, and he was I think thirty two and has retired from baseball and mark my words will be back as a manager 100 percent. alex mm -hmm. avila's future manager of the detroit tigers 2030 um but i'll write it down we'll circle back to it yeah we'll come back nine years yeah I'll, I'll look really smart about this in a couple <laughs> years um but yeah 34 is old for a catcher like mm -hmm. that's that position has so much wear and tear so i think that there is that possibility right that you know you could look at him going okay well maybe it is time that i start taking a step back maybe i'm a little kinder to my body and my joints and you know they do it that way but i think if they're not planning on doing it that way, Contreras has to be traded because he's still young enough. You can get good return for that. And really? there's no point in having both of them there if Gomes isn't going to take the backup position. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. All right. Well, I guess that kind of covers the, the three teams that you were talking about. Um, I guess some other things that are kind of happening. I know Lewis, uh, our producer, was a big fan of the aforementioned podcast from the intro who's on worst yes. is there going to be any more who's on worst content yes or... um absolutely there is we recorded an episode on for love of the game Ooh. um our producer brett right now is uh preparing for graduation um and that is obviously his first and foremost requirement is to make sure that he graduates and he's trying to get his name out for some jobs so he is kind of taking a little bit of a break to get that episode out but i think it should actually be out in the next week or two Great. um definitely before christmas um, and that one was a ton of fun. I feel like we hated on that movie pretty substantially. <laughs> um, 
it was one of the movies that inspired the entire podcast starting because it was in my original top five worst movies of all time article. Um, and we're definitely going to continue throughout next year as well. We have a whole list of ones that we want to do. It's just kind of a matter of finding time when the three of us can make it work recording wise. Um, so yeah, no, we, we love that podcast. We have so much fun with it. And I know Lewis does love it. And I he yeah. really hyped about it last time I was on. Um, so you can tell Lewis to not fear. We will definitely be having more episodes. Perfect. I, I will be sure to mention it to him. Um, other than that, I guess, uh, tell us where people can find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm at 90 feet from home on Twitter, where I live far too often throughout the day. Uh, and 90 feet from home is actually also the name of my YouTube channel, which for anybody who has been curious about that will be coming back, hopefully stronger than ever in the new year. Uh, I'm planning on recording quite a few episodes over my Christmas break. Um, so that is there. And then otherwise, yeah, I'm all over the place at D-Rays Bay, Bleed Cubby Blue and uh, bless you boys. Right, perfect. I know one of the things that uh, you're doing a lot of writing as well. You every day. I, you're a good, very good Twitter follow. It is a, a highly recommended that shoot you a follow at the 90 feet from home. But every day you're posting articles. You're posting about how I gotta write words today and everything. It's a, uh, it's very good yeah. stuff to see. <laughs> I'm actually like I don't know. I'm a novelist too, so I yeah. write like full books under different names than just the Ashley McLennan. So um, I don't know if urban fantasy and romance is your vibe <laughs> there's got to be crossover um, there i bet um i write as sierra dean there and then i just got a book contract recently for a cozy mystery series hmm. um under the author named gretchen rue so that'll be coming out next september the first book of that one so it's awesome again i'm sure there's crossover a very small piece of the venn diagram but if you're interested then go check that and you also have a patreon as well don't you I do at 90 feet from home and that one will probably be a bit more worth it starting in January. Cool. Um, you do get first crack at any of my pre-sales, but also you get my YouTube videos before anybody else. They get the full 24 hours ahead of time. Um, so if you are keen on that, then yeah, it is also at 90 feet from home. Awesome. Right, well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy day, Ashley, uh, joining us for big episode five zero finally coming uh, back we you're one of the first guests we had on the show so just uh you know thanks for you know jumping in with us right from the beginning oh i love that anytime i love coming on all right everybody we'll stay tuned after this break for the rest of the episode Thank you, everyone, for listening here to episode 50 of Our Baseball Weekly. We are so excited to have made it this far and to continue on for hopefully another 50 and 50 after that. Well, we'll see how long this keeps up. Very, very glad to make it this far. My name is Lewis. I am the executive producer of this program. Our admin is Christine. Our editor is the wonderful Nime, who helped save this show and get us to 50 when my life got super busy. So very, very much thanks to Nime. I had the privilege of hosting our intro segment with the wonderful Shane, who also has joined us lately and helped round out this roster to make sure we had enough wonderful air talent to continue this. And our wonderful interview with Ashley McLennan was done by Maz, who has been here since the start and is very close to passing me on total segments 
appeared in. So, uh, Maz, you'll probably be passing me here as uh, things get busier and busier in my life. So thank you for, for joining me at, on this journey so far, Maz, for, for all we've been through. Um, finally, thank you to the wonderful Chuck Lease for writing our intro and theme music. It has been great to have a consistent theme that I listen to on my Monday morning commute and know that, hey, we did something again this week. That's great. Thank you to all of our listeners for keeping us going all year. Here's to another great year, and uh, we'll see you here next week. All right. So thank God we are done talking about baseball now. So uh, anyway, what is most important to us? Red Taylor's version. We have so much to talk about. What do you think? Um, I have spent more time than is rational or allowable by my schedule um, watching TikToks about Easter eggs. <laughs> about oh my gosh. The Bet You Think About Me video about every single one of her Instagram posts and how people are like, so focused on like what album is coming next for the taylor's mm -hmm. version it's i don't know there's so many options i really want 1989 as well but i think she might go back to the beginning and do speak now i i don't know i, what would you I think what we're gonna see i would like 1989 because i prefer it but one i want the drama of the dear john taylor's version Gosh. um to drop I think what we are going to see regardless is a wildest dream situation where she does a Taylor's version of Enchanted because Enchanted is enormous on TikTok right now. Is it? Um, okay. I'm not on TikTok. Huge. So <laughs> it takes up so much of my life, Maz. It's ridiculous. Um, but there's like a huge trend of listening to like the, like, please don't be in love with somebody else kind of section of Enchanted. That's right. And on TikTok, because there was a big Wildest Dreams trend for the longest time, she, she released recorded yeah. and released the Wildest Dreams Taylor's version. So I'm like, mm, Wandy's smart. She knows her business. She'll, I, I think that we're going to see an Enchanted Taylor's version drop maybe this month would be nice but i don't think that that means the speak now is next <laughs> so i think i don't know i'm, I'm i prefer 1989 it's one of my favorite albums same here it's probably my second favorite behind oh, what red. are your top three? Oh gosh red 89 folklore oh yeah good combo i think mine is probably 1989 red lover um oh, okay lovers like five lovers yeah i don't know why that album so here's the thing the year lover came out wait I hold lost. on let me let me stop recording so that way we can okay <laughs>